This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 226, about Jessica Jones, episode 4, a.k.a. Customer Services, standing by. Welcome back, fellow Defenders. This is Derek on Defenders TV Podcast. We're talking about episode four of Jessica Jones, season three, a.k.a. Customer Services Standing By. I'm here with only one of my fellow Defenders today. Yes, it is I, Chris. We, I've secretly got rid of John. <laughs> he's actually he's actually standing by on customer service. So if our fellow Defenders, if you have an issue, please call him. Um, he will be there with his feedback. He is manning the phones today, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, unfortunately, John won't be here for this episode. As we said uh, on our previous episodes, we have to record these in a slightly different way this season because we didn't get them in advance, but that's fine. We're on our final season of Jessica Jones, our final season of the Netflix shows, and really enjoying this season of Jessica Jones so far. 100%. It feels really like we're going back to the, what made Jessica Jones season one, Jessica Jones season one. Absolutely, just like our wonderful first season of Jessica Jones, the best season of Marvel Netflix uh, to be, as we've said before. Um, if you haven't subscribed to our podcast just yet, make sure you subscribe to us over on TV Podcast Industries. As we've mentioned, this is the final Defenders TV Podcast show, so very soon we'll be retiring our feed for Defenders TV Podcast and moving everything over to tvpodcastindustries.com. So pop on over there and subscribe to us on any drunk or sober podcast player. You can send any feedback you want to about Jessica Jones or about the podcast to our feedback email address at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com or you can pop on over to the website and leave us a voicemail of any of your thoughts up to 90 seconds of your thoughts be great to hear from our, our regular listeners about this final season of the defenders yes and if you fancy leaving a review why not leave it over at tv podcast industries you know so give a bit of that old uh, podcast seo love to all of our new channels. Excellent, excellent. Chris, do you want to take the episode details for this episode? Episode 4, a.k.a. Customer Service is standing by. Sure. This episode was written by Jamie King. This is his fourth episode, Jessica Jones. He's been a story editor since Jessica Jones Season 1 and got a writing credit for JJ um, Episode 9 of Season 1, which was a.k.a. Sinbin. Mm -hmm. He also did uh, a.k.a. Smile, the Season 1 finale, and a.k.a. The Octopus, which was the Episode 5 of Season 2. Mm -hmm. um, so really there. good. You can see the pedigree of what he's been doing so mm -hmm. far in this episode. Yeah. Yeah, really, really good stuff back in back in the previous seasons as well. So great to have Jamie back for this season. Yes, and this episode was directed by Lizel Tommy. Uh, this is her first Marvel episode. She did direct episode 13 of the last season of Walking Dead, a great episode of the last season. Mm -hmm. She's also talks to direct the upcoming Aretha Franklin biopic Respect, starring Jennifer Hudson. That's due out towards the end of next year. So hopefully she'll get that gig after mm -hmm. what she did in this amazing episode as well. Yeah, now the, the movie is in pre-production and is listed against Lysol Tommy. I'm really looking forward to it. I absolutely love the music of Aretha Franklin and if anybody deserves a biopic it's someone with good music because they put, always put out a good album afterwards so uh, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that one yeah it's definitely going to be a good one but um, since we're missing our uh, British synopsis director <laughs> um, do you want to take this one away Derek sure why not the synopsis for this episode of Jessica Jones. Jessica Jones has a secret weapon. Eric has an a-hole detector that allows him to find people who have done, are doing, or are planning to do bad, bad things. His superpower comes with a glitch, though. It gives Eric painful migraines that can only be managed by booze, gambling, and sex. Unfortunately, the gambling has got the better of him, so he uses his power to blackmail these people 
and pay off his own debts to Sal Blokowski, a ruthless lender with a love for escapology and a keen sense of timing. Jessica realises that her assailant was angered by Eric's blackmail attempt and traces her way to Gregory Salinger, a highly intelligent serial killer. He knows everything about her. He's so far ahead of Jessica, she looks like an ant to him. But Jessica Jones has a secret weapon. Yeah, wow. Um, we finally have been introduced to our big bad, or what I believe to be our big bad for mm-hmm. this episode season. But let's jump straight in yes. with our top five case notes. Yes, let's into, get into case note number one. I suppose let's start this out saying, Chris, you were right, well done. Eric Yay! does have a superpower, and it is being an a-hole radar. What a great superpower, <laughs> sort of. Yeah, like, this was, for me, was, okay, first of all, I was like, score, I was right, every now and again, it, 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 it's a 50-50 chance. Mm-hmm. I make up that much weird stuff in my head that it's going to happen. Um, but it, this is actually quite a cool power. Now, uh, I, I was going to save this to notes, but I'll quickly jump in and I'll get into more details. Eric actually is a really minor Z-list comics villain from... Um, Daredevil. Oh, right, right. And uh, called Mind Wave, mm. essentially. And he was just a kind of, he, he's more of a telepath than an empath right. uh, in the comics. Um, but it was interesting that this is their take on it. Yeah. Which is, as you said, it's the a-hole raider. Um, <laughs> And it's a, it's a cool little thing. It's an interesting power, isn't it? And and what I'm wondering about, and, and you might agree with me here, Chris, on this, this is the fifth show of the Netflix shows, right? We've got we've got five other shows, really, um, with this and Punisher and Luke Cage and Iron Fist and Daredevil. Is this the one where, that has had the most super-powered individuals in it? Because we've had, you know, I think Jessica calls it out in here about the fact the reason why she believes Eric's story is because the last time she didn't believe somebody who was powered, it was the wizard who ran himself into uh, some scaffolding and, and impaled himself. So oh, this is yeah. why she believes in Eric, that he does have a superpower. I'm wondering, of all the other shows, I know people have been enhanced or people have had experiments on them and that kind of thing, but... Is this the one show that's had more superpowered people than the other shows? I think so. Like it depends. If you, if you went for the Defenders, mm-hmm. then no. Mm-hmm. If you went for Iron Fist, where they're a bit more magic key towards season two of Iron Fist, mm-hmm. like the Chi powered, then no. <laughs> but if you go for pure soup, yeah. like the old, like the the enhanced or whatever other way we've been calling the super powered individual the enhanced or uh then yeah this yeah. is and i like this like they're not going crazy with it right yeah. yeah they're not saying that eric is a pure telepath or he can read everyone's mind mm-hmm. uh no it's just like he has the, a sense so it's it's a nice, more grounded, realistic version of powers. Yeah, and I, I really do like this take. I suppose that's kind of the, the fun thing about Jessica Jones, that while she is using super-powered people in her shows, it is very much the Jessica Jones version of a super-powered person. Nobody really gets away with great superpowers in this show at all. Everybody just kind of has an okay superpower. You know, the idea that you get close to someone who's bad and you get a headache, I'm not too sure how useful that is. He's turned it into something useful, which is kind of where our case notes are coming from. This case note number one is Eric is using this as a, to mark out bad people so that he can get money out of them. So mark one is Todd White, this accountant with no family and no priors. But what Eric can tell is there's something bad underneath it all. He knows that someone's doing bad because he gets this pinprick at the back of his neck that gets worse and worse and worse as he gets close to someone that's bad. And in this case, he effectively says, 
I'll find people that the police can't find because they're able to hide it. He finds the hidden bad people, which is a really interesting idea, but he's turned this into a way to just pay off his gambling debts, effectively. Yeah, and it's a bit of a weird one. Like, the... Let's try, if we jump into what Todd White is, okay? Mm-hmm. So Todd White is uh, a child pornography studio. Like it's never just explicitly said that he's a pedophile, but it, it, it's definitely in, all of it's implied. Yeah, there's a studio, there's toys, there's a Barbie, there's lots of things. And um, I think you wrote these in our notes. It is very reminiscent of season two of Pun- Punisher. Yeah, that, uh, of that one where uh, Frank and Amy find the, the the child porn studio as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's there's no question that he's doing something really bad. They don't explicitly state it, but you have you have an idea exactly what he's doing. And Jessica is a pretty tough as nails person. She knows he's bad instantly. Checks the camera, sees some photographs on there. No matter what his protestations are, she knows he's a bad guy, and that's it. He's done. You know, I really like that kind of idea of. We all know this guy's bad from the start. I love that he thinks that she's there to investigate insurance fraud, effectively. <laughs> that that's what he thinks that, that he could have been found out for. But actually, it's much, much worse than that. Uh, everybody here is much, much worse than they seemingly are on the surface. Uh, and I love the final moment with Jessica in the apartment with him where she closes the door, uh, locks him behind it, and then calls the police with the, uh, Hi, someone in apartment B is screaming that they're locked in the apartment. Help. <laughs> so the the reason I found this really interesting is that what what Eric says at this point, which is he's he, Jessica goes, well, you would have called the cops, and he goes, yeah, maybe. Like I got my money, uh, and then he goes, oh no, I'm joking. Of course, I would have called the cops. Mm-hmm. Like after I asked for uh, more money, <laughs> yeah. And you're like, okay, so Eric is Eric's not the guy that we thought like. He definitely is, he's an a-hole himself. Like, he does not care. He wants to use his power. Mm. He doesn't care. He just wants to get away from the power. It's very reminiscent of Jessica back in season one. A little bit, a little bit. I know that we the conversation we have with Eric, which we're probably going to talk about a little bit later on in, in our case note number two, actually, we might as well move on to it because all of these are kind of merged together, these marks that Jessica is going to because of this information that Eric's giving her. Um, they do have the conversation about that, and Eric does say that he's tried everything. He's tried to use these powers for good. He's tried to use these powers to rob people completely blind, but the best situation he's ever come up with is him just leaving a note for these people going, I know what you did, pay me money. And he doesn't have to get into any details of them. He doesn't have to inf- interfere in their lives. He just leaves drop points for money from them. And that's the only thing he can do with it, because if he takes out bad guys, there's still more bad guys around the corner. So he might might as well skim a little bit of money off them. That's kind of as far as he's gotten with it. He hasn't been able to push it into the realm of this is a great superhero ability or a great supervillain ability. Just kind of keeps his head above water. That's as far as he's concerned. So he's not a terribly bad guy, but he's not a terribly good guy either. He's a nice, a nice Jessica Jones type gray character. And that's what these these seasons are about. Mm-hmm. It's the moral ambiguity mm-hmm. of everything. It's um, the the legal. What was it from uh, the last episode? The legal ethics mm-hmm. of being a good person or a bad person. Yeah. Um. So and the moral ethics. So I think, and we just keep seeing those. I hate to say, we keep seeing those Fifty Shades of Grey <laughs> in this. Okay, yes, we've got the the. 
the uh, angle grinder to the abs in season one, but I'm not talking about that Fifty Shades of Grey. I'm talking about the moral ambiguity of, yeah, he's he's an a-hole, but he's not too much of an a-hole yeah. that we think. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's all dependent. I think in comparison to some of the people that he finds, uh, he's yes. definitely not that bad a guy. You know, I think... Todd White deserves to be in prison for what he's doing in that in his pornography studio that's there. And then our, our second Mark, the office manager, Raina Pincer. Um, this is such an interesting moment because Jessica and Eric walk into her office building that he is kind of being used as a radar to find out what office she's in, which I think is really interesting. You know, it's just kind of beep, beep, beep. I think she's over there. I'm getting worse and worse of a headache, you know. Um, Jessica confronts this woman inside the door, and when she realizes Jessica doesn't know all the information about her, she starts to make up this uh, this cover story, which is really believable, I think. It's, it sounds like a really believable cover story, where she says she's skimmed off some money from the business's petty, petty cash to pay her mother's surgery, and then her funeral, and then she's also sold her mother's wedding ring to pay for this blackmail. Hasn't she done enough kind of thing? And it's only because of Jessica's investigative abilities, really, that she realizes, actually, this is just another disgusting human being who's covering up her story, trying to get away with it. Uh, it turns out she's embezzled millions from this company and taken away the retirement ability for most of the staff that are in there. That's really cool. Yeah, it took me a second on this one. Mm-hmm. So it because they... It was hard because I essentially what you get is she tells all that she said oh I sold my wedding ring and then it cuts to the outside yeah where you see Jessica smash her against the wall mm-hmm. and I'm like what 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 <laughs> and it's only because what we see is Eric is kind of still pounding at his head yeah and you can see him he's in grimacing to a to a degree and he just wants to get out of there that's where Jessica kind of goes okay something beyond. And it's only when she basically walks out mm-hmm. and we get that fantastic part where um, essentially she tells everyone. Then you go, oh, there was more to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've just called this the release the hounds moment. It's it's as Jessica walks out and goes, you might want to know about this. Your retirement fund could be completely gone because of that woman in the office. Maybe you guys want to take care of this. And she turns around to Eric and says to him, they obviously seem to care about it. Maybe you should care about it more as well, you know? It's it's nice to see that Jess is trying to change Eric. Yeah, yeah. And it's like she wants to say, "No, you could use this to to be better." Mm-hmm. And he doesn't care. Well, exactly. You know, it, it's it's what we've seen in season one of the show. I think one of the things I talked about, and I can't remember whether I talked about it in the, on this season's podcast, but one of the things I talked to John about. Uh, about season two of Jessica Jones and where I thought it went wrong for me was that we had a similar arc with Jessica and her mother once Jessica found out who Alyssa was and who her mother was. We had a similar arc with her trying to deal with Alyssa without killing her like she did with uh, Kilgrave in season one of the show um, where she wanted to team up with them and try and change them into being good people all the way throughout the season. So it is a known quantity of Jessica Jones that she will find people that she wants to align with and try and change their personality and trying to change their attitudes. So I like this conversation with Jessica and Eric, where Jessica's suddenly going, genuinely, I now have an additional moral compass to the, my own moral compass. So she's going to have, you know, this guy couldn't, shouldn't be called Mindwave in the comics. He should be called Moral Compass because he could be sitting beside Jessica when she goes to beat up a bad guy and go, oh, don't hit him. He's a good person. Don't hit him. 
or do hit him, he's a bad guy, you know? This is what Jessica really wants around. She's always questioned herself over the years. And this would be a great sidekick to her, would be someone that can tell her whether she's right or wrong. Yeah, but he doesn't want that. He just wants out. His thing is, like, he doesn't want to deal with the powers. He doesn't want to deal with being her moral compass. Or being her moral, moral compass, moral compass. (laughs) Well, exactly. It was a double moral compass. Compass I? (laughs) And we do even see that moment, yeah, when he's in there with Raina Pincer and he's just kind of saying to Jessica, look, I don't have time to work out what's actually going on with this woman. We know this isn't the woman that, that you're looking for, Jessica. I don't care. I need to get out of here. I only have a couple of hours left to collect this money, basically. So he doesn't care about these abhorrent human beings that he's being pointed towards. He just cares about getting his money to pay off the debt so he can stay alive for, I guess, another week as he builds up more and more debts. That's kind of his only purpose here. Um, that's all he wants. So I do like they have the conversation, though. I, li- I think that's really good that Jessica still kind of has that questioning in the back of her head that whether she's a, mar- she's a good judge of character or not. Um, we have a little bit of that as well when Eric's in the office with Jessica and Jessica starts asking him, you know, do you ever do you get that feeling in the back of your head when you're beside me? And he says, no, well, I wouldn't be here if I was getting a pain saying that you're a bad person. And then Trish calls to the door and he instinctively says she's fine as well. She's another good person. So, uh, so you know, setting them back together again, that they are essentially good people and much better than the kind of people he deals with. Okay. Yes. He calls out Trish at that point in time, right? Mm-hmm. Which moves us on to our third case note, because yeah. I want that to stick in your mind. Just remember that. <laughs> right now, he's calling... Right, Sorry, right then, he is calling Trish a good person. Mm-hmm. Moving on to case note three, we have Sal with a crowbar in the garden, which yeah. is kind of like Colonel Mustard with the candlestick in the garden. Exactly. I'm glad you got that, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I got it. Uh, every now and again, my brain works. Um <laughs> Eric just had, like, one week to pay, or Sal kept throwing him into the bottom of the pool with the mm-hmm. weights tied, which was really cool. Yeah. Um, and she had, in the first flashback we get, he's like, oh, I expect you to last another 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting. <laughs> She's a gambler as well, though. I really like that. She's gambled with her son that Eric wouldn't die and would live for another 30 seconds before he escaped you know I like that little joke as i say as i said in the synopsis she does seem to like this idea of the escapology you know she thinks she'll he'll be able to get out of it but she's threatening that he won't be able to get out of it next time and i love this little touch of the grandson that's that's there tying weights to his action figure and throwing them into the pool as well you know this is the effect that sal's having on the people around her she's got all of her sons involved in the business and now her even her grandson is going to get involved in the business you know doesn't seem doesn't seem surprised at all about Eric being tossed in the pool uh, with weights tied to his feet. Well, you know what they say, <laughs> starting young. Exactly. If you're going into the family business, you're starting young. Um, <laughs> but what we get, so we do get obviously Trish trying to track down the, the Blakowskis and mm-hmm. figure out who Sal is. So in order to do that, she basically breaks into essentially cat burgles uh-huh. um, the uh, Jay Hogarth or the Hogarth uh, uh law firm mm-hmm. um and gets caught by malcolm revealing that she is now powered yes to malcolm yes it was very quick that she reveals her secret identity to the second person in her life and <laughs> you know it's like jessica knows and now malcolm knows you know it's uh she's not very good at keeping this secret identity at all is she no and <laughs> th- to be fair it's just why she could have literally jumped back out the window <laughs> Um, but she does need his help, I suppose, is, is kind of the point, isn't it? There's, if anybody's going to be good at the security on the computers uh, in 
Hogarth's office, it's going to be Malcolm, right? She's not probably not going to be able to go in there and, and stick in her uh, her thumb drive and get all the information out of there. She's going to need Malcolm's help. Um, but I, I, it, she seems to do a reasonably convincing job. She seems to know that Malcolm probably has a bit of a problem with what Hogarth's policies are and the kind of person he's becoming because of that conversation they had earlier on in the season. So I'm guessing that, that he's probably on her side a little bit as long as it doesn't interfere too much in his job. Yeah? Yeah. I, I think he's going to be like the Oracle, to, mm-hmm. to, which is Batman's uh, a voice in the sky, or yeah. um, essentially it was Barbara Gordon for a while, but I think they changed mm-hmm. it up again. Yeah, or like uh, Micro and the Punisher, who's going to be yes, the guy at the computers yes. telling them all what's what's going on. Now, I don't know whether we're going to get, as I said, um, Malcolm being giving over huge amounts of information that will endanger him with Hogarth, especially after what happens later in the episode. Um, but definitely she's playing on the fact that she believes Malcolm's a good guy underneath it all. And if she needs some help to take down some of the more more bad criminal element of the people that Hogarth defends, maybe he'll help her out occasionally, I think is where, where we're kind of at at the moment. Yeah, I don't know. I think it will get worse before it gets better. I think mm-hmm. that's probably the best way of putting it. No, actually, probably scratch that. He's going to continue to help her. It will put him in danger. Hogarth will find out mm-hmm. and the, everything will go downhill from there. But let's, <laughs> let's talk more about that later because there's a particular part we want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. So anyway, the, getting back to the, the Bukowskis. So Eric gets the money from his two first two victims. Yeah. Brings the money to Sal, but he was 20 minutes late. Um, so Sal and the, her, her sons carry out their threat and throw him back in the pool with an extra two weights. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just as he's literally, just as he's uh, taking the the big drink, the the big swim, the last swim mm-hmm. he'll ever have, um, we see Trish um, arrive. Where Hellcat does arrive and takes out most of the family. Yeah, which is great. Yeah. I really like this. Yeah, I think it's a couple of hours later. I'm not, I'm not sure if it's twenty minutes, but he is he is late. I love that he's running to the door like he's out of breath, getting to Sal's house, thinking I know she's going to hate the fact that I'm a couple of hours late, but at least I have the money, you know. But this is not what Sal wants. Sal specifically told him he has to be there on time this time and pay every single penny. None of this. I'm five quid short, or or I'm only twenty minutes late. He had a full week to do this, so he's getting the punishment here. You know, I, I I'm still not a hundred percent certain whether Sal wanted him to die here or whether she thought he would get out of it or whether she would have saved him and just had this as a punishment. I don't know whether you kill someone in the pool in your back garden. Um, if that's what so, you want I've been thinking about that too. Which is uh-huh. like, it's gonna, yeah. I think it's because she they assumes he's able to get out of it. It's like, something like that. It's it's either that she assumes that he'll get out of it, or they are going to release him in a couple of minutes, you know. But they will probably force him and punish him so that he won't do this again. But it sounds like she's done it a lot of times as well. So I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> do you drown him in your pool and then stick him in a car and drop him in the ocean? You know, I, I'm not sure. I uh, know, see, because if anything, in my years of watching CSI back when it was really good, like in the uh-huh. first, like, what, 10 seasons or five seasons? <laughs> Let's say two seasons. Okay. Um, they, they'll, they'll notice that the, the, the water in the lungs from when he mm-hmm. drowns is pool water. 
but oh, then right. he, he's in the sea, so that's a different type of water, obviously. Uh, see, that's how they get you. <laughs> if they ever find the body. True. Anyway, <laughs> moving it all forward. Yes. Eric does get out because we have that moment where Trish kicks one of Sal's sons into the into the pool and he drops his knife and Eric's able to pick it up or Eric's able to get the knife off one of the sons to cut those uh, those chains that he has attached to his feet, you know. So he is able to get out just in time to save Trish as well. So I really like that they have this little interplay where he's a little bit of a sidekick to Trish here, even though Jessica's the one that wanted him as a sidekick, but only a very short moment uh, as he runs away and goes, did you fly here or did you get a lift? Do you need a lift? <laughs> Can I go? <laughs> I got <laughs> this. Moment, so. I, I love yeah. that was the best one. So did you? Yeah, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, Salatrak attacks Trish mm. and this is where it comes down to, which is basically Sal is impaled by her own crowbar. Yes, she is. I know. Now, I, I, yeah, let's get back to your question on this, because I had a look at it again, because I think when I watched it last night, this moment just went by so quickly that I thought maybe Trish had done something here. But Trish really just kind of steps out of the way. She does a great little kind of step and flip, um, sending Sal onto her own crowbar. Yes, Sal falls effectively on her own crowbar. Now, Trish takes this really badly and thinks that she's done something massively badly here. But it is an accident. It's not something that Trish was trying to do. It's true. But Eric's power is not just a-hole Vader. Like, we keep calling it that. And it's just when people have done something bad or or the guilt of doing something bad. Mm -hmm. So what we get is you can see essentially Trish at, back at her job, which she still goes to, which is great. She, yep. She's taking the Bruce Wayne approach, which is always... Be seen to be the, your your dual identity is still alive and mm -hmm. there, um, but she calls and she has the guilt over Sal. But luckily, she finds out that Sal is in the emergency room, has stabilized, she's okay, etc. But it's that guilt of being a bad person, mm -hmm. or in her opinion, being a bad person. Yeah, yeah, and and again, you know, that's absolutely fine. I think. What we do hear a little bit from the conversation of Jessica and Eric, we talked before on, on the podcast about them not being hugely clear about people's powers and abilities very often. But we do hear that conversation between Jessica and Eric where Eric says he kind of has this radar where he can feel all the bad things that people are doing and what he's most attracted to is people that have the worst feeling. The ones that give him the worst feeling are probably the ones that are going to pay him most, yeah, <laughs> to, yeah. to keep their secrets. Um, but he he seems to say that Trisha's slate is clean, like Jessica's slate is clean. They don't feel bad about anything because they don't feel like they've done anything too bad, I suppose. Back um, then. Yeah, yeah. Now, it's, I think, is going to be different. Maybe, maybe. And I, I think, I, I don't know. I think this is the, this is the first part of Hellcat's downfall, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. um, which is, I don't think Trish is built for these accidents. Right. Like, yeah. she, you see how badly she feels mm -hmm. uh, about potentially sending someone who's going to kill someone two seconds ago to yeah. the hospital. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's like, you wouldn't see Batman calling up uh, <laughs> Gotham City Hospital emergency room going oh yeah no I just want to check in on that person yeah okay yeah. okay Grant I um, do love the setup of this and you're right Chris that is, that is a moment you don't see in very many superhero shows where she goes and, and takes on this whole gang the leader of the gang is a mother and these are all her sons who are around her protecting her but effectively working for her and trying to kill a guy in their swimming pool you know um, but because 
the mother has fallen on a crowbar, you hear one of the one of the sons going, "Oh my God, Ma, are you okay?" You know, and suddenly you're taken from this superhero moment back into a normal daily life of some of somebody it's like that thing from austin powers with the uh, the people going around to the, uh, to the <laughs> yeah. uh, henchman's house and going oh my god sorry your husband eric has died in, in an explosion you know uh, that's what it almost feels like because you're taken back to the normal life of these people but sal's a bad woman she's a really bad woman she should be in prison for all of the things she's done is is what trish had found out before she even went there but trish feels bad about it you're right you know you don't get to see that very often i don't think in all of the captain america movies or or the Iron Man movies, I don't think they're even once considered the families or the people behind those they took down. But they surely all had families, right? Oh, yeah. Well, exactly. Like, you know? that's... Every Hydra agent has yeah. a family. They had... Uh, they had the... Uh, what do you call it? Their, their double life. So mm-hmm. that's where this goes. So, exactly. look, it, it's interesting. I just... When I say I think this is the beginning, I think something else will happen to someone else, mm-hmm. which Trish is trying to protect someone that the bad person gets hurt or someone or the someone gets hurt and yeah. it just starts building and building and building her face was so drawn yeah her like you can see it shook her well she doesn't want any of this right she just wants that superhero all the accolades she wants the key to the city of new york as being the, the new superhero that's out there you know she wants all of that stuff all the appraise and the plaudits and all everything she can possibly get for being the new hero of the city but this is all she's had is everybody recognizes her still as her old TV persona uh, when she tries to save them without a mask on. And now that she does have a mask on, she's effectively sent someone's old mother or gr- even grandmother in, in this case to the hospital in her first couple of outings. You know, none of this is good. None of this is what she thought was coming in the pamphlet of be your own superhero today. You know, um, <laughs> I like but, that. I want to read that pamphlet. By the way. <laughs> it's a good one, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but let's uh, have a little break from Eric and Trish and, and Jessica and go for a little night at the opera for our case note number four. Look, I know it's not an opera, but I just wanted to push for the Queen reference since they're so popular right now again um, after Good Omens and after uh, after the Bohemian Rhapsody. So A Night of the Opera was a Queen album, in case you don't know. Um, oh, I, did, I actually did not know that. I was go. like, I don't get the reference. <laughs> I'm old, man. I'm old. Uh, you're not old. You're just <laughs> antique. Well versed in music, Chris. You could have yeah, got for that. Yeah, could have got for that. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> but yes, we're moving over to Jerry's side here. Uh, we have another awful bone for jerry god they keep doing this to me every episode i go jerry's an awful human being and then you see the kind of stuff she has to put up with and one of the things she has to put up with this is a very very independent woman she has beautiful a beautiful apartment something somewhere that everybody would be jealous living in and she has a medical medical care agent come over to her house to to review the apartment and show her the things she has to change to be able to live after she's had some issues with ALS if she has any kind of operation or if she has any kind of fall or injury this woman is telling her all the things she has to do to fix her apartment it's things like you know she's going to have to have handrails everywhere around the house she's going to have to get rid of her rugs these beautiful antique rugs that she has in the house she's going to have to get rid of all that beautiful furniture she has and put in a lazy boy in her apartment this just seems like an absolute nightmare for Jerry (laughs) and not only that is this medical care agent is just overly touchy with Jerry over and over again this this touchy thing where every time jerry complains about anything she touches her in the arm as if to console her and jerry's like just get out of my apartment <laughs> you you don't belong here and i'm not putting a lazy boy in my place oh yeah well that was a, that was a step too far 
فجاي سي بوي It is, you're right, they're playing with our literal emotions in this, mm-hmm. which is, in the one episode, we are seeing two sides of Jerry, consistently, every episode. You're yeah. seeing the evil, I don't know, I, I use evil light, lightly, but... The, 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 oh, she's pretty evil. Yeah, she is. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the manipulative, the, the, the diabolical mm-hmm. Jerry... And then the dying Jerry, the ALS Jerry, the the, yeah. the hurt, the her world is being torn from her piece by piece. Yeah, I like when you see, like I, you can't begin to imagine. Okay, I know right now I need, I don't need it, but in potentially two days, two hours, or two years, mm-hmm. I'm going to need rails on my toilet. Yeah, it's hard to see that. I think I suppose to take it kind of slightly higher than the way we normally talk about the shows to take it a bit deeper than I normally even think about the shows really what they're saying is that illness isn't discriminatory illness yes. can come on anybody no matter how bad or good they are illness can come around and attack them and they will have to go through the exact same thing that somebody that has led a perfect pristine life has gone through if this particular illness attacks them and i absolutely love that i love that at times you want to just tell her to, to leave kith alone throughout this episode just leave her alone and go back to your own life go back to work at times and then at other times you want to really sympathize with her you want to really empathize with the pain that she's going through but you would do that with any other human being but I love that they're doing the contrast with that, with Jerry, with both sides of her character in the show, where sometimes you're like, oh, I just want to give her a hug because this is going to be an absolute nightmare for her. And other times you want to just give her a slap. You know? <laughs> Flash forward to the office. And when we mm-hmm. see Malcolm is basically he finds what she's asked for. Yeah. Yeah. He gets the new info. He gets the, the dirty deed, if you will, and essentially uses it. To get himself the new contract that is like a better contract, a better pay. The -hmm. contract was pretty bad for him because his girlfriend, his now girlfriend wrote it. And if she even goes, yeah, I I helped that. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like they even have that conversation where they effectively say we're not allowed to have any conversations about work. And I know we absolutely can because I wrote the contract. Like it's it's terrible. And he's his office is in the file room. He just has a temporary desk in there. That's that's where he works out of. It seems like he's got a, a very big payoff here. But once again, what Jessica Jones does and the Jessica Jones TV show does is show that there's nobody good in this world at all. Like, I was kind of hoping that the resolution to this whole thing would be, I found nothing on Peter. There's nothing actually wrong with this guy. Kith landed on her feet and they have an open marriage and that's kind of it. But no, Peter is doing something absolutely desperate. He's stealing money from the charity set up in his daughter's name to buy presents for his girlfriends. Like, that's absolutely awful. There is nobody good in the world, or at least in the Jessica Jones world, right? Yeah, and that's the... the I was... I'm, I'm with you. I was hoping... Well, not that. I was maybe hoping... No, look, he's just having an affair. He He's having an affair of an affair of an affair. Like, he's sleeping mm. with multiple of his students kind of thing. I was but hoping, I think he probably is. Like, that's... Kith doesn't seem to mind that. No, she, exactly. She even says he's probably sleeping with one of his students. Yeah. You know? So, she doesn't seem to mind that. It had to be something worse. But I wish she just didn't find anything, or he didn't find anything. And I'm wondering if maybe the resolution's going to be in a few episodes. 
that Malcolm actually goes after Kit and finds out what her dirty laundry is. Because nobody's good in this world and Kit seems really good. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be something. There's going to be consequences to this, yeah. So Malcolm does give this information uh, mm-hmm. to Jerry. And she, you literally see his... You can see Malcolm's face go from happy to sad within a split second. Because Jerry yeah. goes, no, we're not going to do anything with this. Yeah. Right now. Exactly, and right that's the really bit where you're like, "Oh, Jerry, you had like, yeah. come on, you mm-hmm. yeah had something. You knew it's gonna, it's basically gonna ruin Kit. It's gonna ruin uh, Peter. Well, that's fine, ruining Peter, but it's gonna ruin Kit. And yeah. it's she's just like, oh, I'm gonna hold on to that now. Mm-hmm. Um, which it's interesting because, oh, did, did has she so? Jerry takes Kith to to the to we say the opera, but it's not the opera. A performance of yeah. Debussy's Lemur, mm-hmm. um, and we get this kind of again. Kith saying, "Look, this is don't don't ask for what I can't give." Um, and yeah. kind of like again, it's like this is not a relationship. This is an op. This is just us having fun, etc., etc., etc. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a big difference between her and her partner Peter. And her having sex with with uh, Jerry, like there's a huge difference between those two things. I love that little touch in there that that Kith has seen La Mer by Debussy so many times that she says that she's getting seasick. Effectively, La Mer about the sea. She says she's getting seasick. She's seen it so many times. It's just a little touch that makes you think that Jerry chose La Mer because it's one of Kith's favorite pieces, or at least was twenty five years ago when she used to actually know Kith. But now she doesn't know Kith at all. She doesn't know what Kith's really been up to or what she really thinks now. But Jerry's kind of longing for her to have lived the life with Kith all those years, you know. Um, And she's so possessive of her, you know, this moment when she walks in and tries to get a a new job for Kith, even though Kith's perfectly happy with being a teacher and realizes that her music career may be over. Jerry's taking this whole opportunity to effectively sell her to another conductor to sell her uh, sell her abilities to another conductor um and kith absolutely hates that you would like this is jerry being jerry very Mm -hmm. like every part of it like it's like i'm going to control everything i want to control the woman i'm with i want to control the world around me i want to control everything and what you end up with is kith kind of just going no this is not how this is going to be yeah, it's not a business transaction. She yeah. gives Jerry a nice present in the auditorium um, mm-hmm. as the crescendo yeah. of the performance uh, crescendos. Um, <laughs> but at the end, when they're leaving, Peter calls and something about DVR and she goes home to watch TV with him instead. Yeah. Um, which it, it's right, like it hurts Jerry and you can see it hurts Jerry. Yeah, it, it's awful, isn't it? Because it feels like effectively jerry was auditioning kith to be her partner and if kith passed the test everything would have been okay and passing the test would have been to go home with jerry um she chooses to go home to her husband and watch tv with him that's absolutely perfectly good choice if you've got to got to ride the, uh, the the train home you know but jerry effectively because she doesn't get what she wants calls malcolm to release this damning information on peter it's to destroy their lives and everything they've built up together over the last 25 years the the other part of what malcolm is offering to jerry is that he'll be able to release the information to everybody in peter's contact list and nobody know that it's come from jerry now, I'm not too sure about that. I think Kith might be smart enough to know that 
their life was fine before Jerry reappeared back in their life and now it's destroyed. So I kind of get the feeling that Kith might be able to put two and two together. But no, it's no. fascinating that Jerry would make this decision. So I, it's not. So this this is the, 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 the destruction of Jerry Hogarth. This is going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back. Mm-hmm. We've seen this straw break multiple times. And this is the problem. I'm like, this is Jerry will take this on the chin. Um, like, yes, Kith is going to find out it was Jerry, but mm-hmm. Jerry assumes that Kith will forgive her for it. Do you, I don't know. I don't know whether she does or does she just think that that Kith will not know anything about it because she will. Kith seems to know Jerry better than Jerry knows herself at times when they have those conversations between the two of them. Kit's got a really good measure of who Jerry is as a person, you know? Um, so, yeah, I don't know whether she... I, I don't know what she expects out of this. Does she just expect that Kit will come running back to her and not know that she has any connection with Vengeance. Because I don't think she'd do that either. I think know? it's vengeance. Um, maybe. I just... Maybe. I literally think this is the dark side of Jerry. This is... Fine. Like, you, you don't want to be the thing I want you to be? Well, mm-hmm. like... I'm going to take it all away. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just like, yeah. I'm going to... What is it? I'm going to bring you down enough pegs that I will be your savior. It's just just that kind of thing, which is like, I'm going to take (laughs) you down until I'm bringing you to such a low point that when I, that you'll want to be with me type of thing. It's Mm -hmm. very manipulative, but that's what Jerry is. Jerry's character is, she was at one point that that's more moral, she kind of was at one point a moral compass for Jessica like that slightly mm. grey moral compass but a moral compass and Maybe. it's just completely <laughs> twisted I'm not too sure about that I think Jessica always saw the measure of Jerry as well but yeah it, it feels like you know Jerry was very Machiavellian in the past she was very much you know she laid great plans to make a great life for herself this feels like a bomb thrown into somebody else's life because she can't get what she wants it's almost like a baby in a pram bawling its eyes out because you've taken its candy away you know that, that's <laughs> the kind of Jerry we're seeing right here I don't know whether she's expecting to get anything out of this and also she doesn't threaten Kith at all she doesn't tell Kith, if you don't do this, I'm going to release this information about your husband. She's just going to drop a bomb in their lives right now and expect some kind of good outcome. Maybe it's because she feels like she's so close to going out that it doesn't matter anymore. Um, to be left alone is where she is already. So is she going to be any worse if Kith ignores her, you know? Um, it's Yeah, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. But with that, let's get on to our final case note, case note number five, because we'll find out more, I'm sure, about Jerry and Kit's situation in the next episode. Uh, case note number five is our final mark. Gregory Salinger, the a-hole that stabbed Jessica. Yes, we have finally been introduced to what I assume is our big bad for the season. This is the Dexter of the Marvel Netflix universe. So we see Jessica basically get into Salinger's home before fully mm-hmm. understanding. And she see he likes photography, but doesn't like to be in them. He's highly intelligent because he gets a degree in chemistry, law, psychology, engineering. But, and mm-hmm. she keeps adding to all these words. Like, as she reads all this stuff, she's adding the profile of who he is. Exactly. Yeah, I really like this. This is the 
this is the Jessica Jones that we love in this show is her investigative side, hearing that voiceover from her, putting all these pieces together into her little jigsaw puzzle where she's kind of going, she sees all the trophies and she's going, um, he's physically athletic, but aggressive as well. That's why he gets all these wrestling trophies. She says he's highly intelligent, has all these degrees, but they're all over the place. Nobody would put together chemistry, law, psychology, and engineering. Those are massively different fields, but he's got all of them. He's attained them all. So he's kind of almost showing off to everybody how smart and how intelligent he is. And then he arrives home, you know, while she's still there. And I love that instantly as he arrives in, she goes over to him and kind of threatens him slightly. And he falls over and suddenly goes um, as if Jessica has attacked him and then resets himself and goes, right, that'll be fine. I'll I'll have that piece of footage now. So you can't do anything to me or else it's going straight to uh, straight to my lawyer. And there'll be no plea deal or anger management this time. Yes, so this straight away shows he's looked into who Jessica is after the stabbing. Mm-hmm. He's intelligent. That's the thing. Like he yeah. he has cameras in his room, um, but she's recording it as well, which he doesn't see. Yes. So there's yeah. there's more to it than that as well. So mm-hmm. I I'm wondering how I want to know how this is going to play out because essentially what you've got is Jessica, who sometimes relies on her strength a bit too much over her detective skills, um, mm-hmm. versus a high functioning psychopath um mm-hmm. like, so. as i made the joke about the dexter is one of the last shots of salinger we see is him in his full-on uh onesie eating an apple with the actual crime scene behind him as he's actually killing his latest victim that's straight away what we've said they're, they're setting this up this guy is a killer mm-hmm. like and Jessica was not the first. Like, this is not someone who's, oh, no, you found out about me, um, so I'm going to... You found out one the small bad thing I've done, like in, like embezzling. They've stumbled upon something that is pretty bad. Yeah, and I love how they set this up from the beginning of the episode. We hear it from Eric right at the start when Jessica's going through the possible three victims that he has where where she goes, you know, do you know anything about these people? Do you know anything that they've done? And he says, no, but most likely you're going to stumble on a murderer. That's most likely what you're going to get because everybody's done something really bad. It stands out to Eric. So this is Salinger. He's stumbled across a serial killer, not just a murderer is what it seems like. Again, you did make the comment about Dexter. You know, we know that Melissa Rosenberg was on Dexter. She worked on uh, on a couple of seasons of the show and was a showrunner over there on Dexter. So she does have experience working in the mind of a serial killer, I suppose. So um, so that is quite interesting that she's bringing this in for her final season on the show, if that's what we're seeing. But it's really reminiscent, definitely the setup of Salinger sitting there with his apple, cutting it into bits and eating it while there's a dead body right behind him. Yeah, that looks like he murdered the guy, right? It doesn't look like he's at a, somebody else's crime scene other than his oh, own. Oh, exactly. Right? That's, yeah. He seems very comfortable right there. Yeah, and I think, so, just uh, for, for our fellow defenders, Salinger is, a, again, a comic book character. Um, mm-hmm. He, I, I will just say his name. I'm not going to go into the who he is and what he is. I'll just say, if you're interested and you want to skip ahead and see where potentially they're going, the the name is Fool Killer. Um, uh-huh. So take, take that and kind of run with it. I don't think they're going to go full-on comic book here i think they're going to take the approach of that salinger is a high functioning literally serial killer and he is someone who believes he is judge jury executioner um Mm -hmm. 
And I'm going to jump forward just straight to the end, right? The one, some of the very last scenes where we see Jessica sitting at her desk with the dollar bill. And it mm-hmm. says hero or fraud, which is the marketing we've been seeing on the lead up to uh, this season dropping. And yeah. it's basically, it's him deciding, is she the hero or is she the fraud? It's like him basically saying, I am your judge, I am your jury. And if needs be, I'm your executioner. Right, um, right. He is the fool killer. Yeah. Um, so I think that's how they're going to play it, which is going to be very interesting because Jessica's gone up, has not gone up against this type before. Oh, absolutely not. And that was always the rumor coming into the show that since we had, you know, her mother in last season, uh, since we had Kilgrave playing on the family problems, her losing her family in season one, that this season's villain would be another family member, that it maybe would be her brother, something like that, coming back from the dead and and that kind of thing happening. I'm so so happy it's someone completely different. The idea of power Jessica Jones going up against a high-functioning intellect like Salinger here is really interesting to me. Really intrigued to see what happens. And he does give the threat to her. He effectively says, just step off. You're way out of your depth here. And one day you're going to meet your match. I love Jessica goes, is that you? And he goes, absolutely not. I'm so far beyond you. You don't, you, you don't even figure in my life. You, you have no chance against me. Just step off right now, you know? But that's not going to be enough for Jessica. She's going to be going after him. We have this conversation with Jessica and Trish where she effectively buries the hatchet with Trish. She calls her live on her call-in show and tells Trish she wants that clinging, smothering, tenacious sweater that uh, that uh, Trish offered her in the past. Um, and Trish takes that to mean Jessica actually needs her help. They're going to start teaming up from now on. Because, as Jessica says, she needs her own secret weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, and what better secret weapon than a superhero that no one really knows about because she's only really done two things. Exactly. Um, yeah. Who And she can look after herself to a degree. Um, yep. while, while putting someone in hospital and feeling terrible about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm excited, and I'm not saying that I wasn't before this episode, but this mm-hmm. really, this reminds me of, I don't know, it, this is going to give me the Joker and Batman vibes to a degree. Interesting. Um, in okay. that, you know, like, you're going to have a, a, someone's super intelligence versus someone with superpowers. Okay, and, mm-hmm. and I know that's not the same as Batman and Joker, but it's that type of detective versus serial killer um, mm-hmm. yep. play yep. that I think is going to be really interesting because I can see Salinger going after her friends and family. Maybe. And that's good. Then that's the weakness, the weak point for Jessica. I, I just, yeah, I got the feeling that what we may be seeing is Jessica underestimating her opponent. Yes. Um, the only person that anybody knows that Jessica is a any way associated with is Trish. So so I don't know how she thinks this is her true secret weapon because it's not that much of a secret that they had a friendship and a relationship in the past. So I'm not too sure whether Salinger will be really bought away by the fact that, uh, that Trish is a secret. But let's see how that all plays out in the next couple of episodes. Um, Chris, that's the end of our case notes. Do you have any notes on this episode? Uh, nothing really. Like I said, go out and check about uh, Mindwave. Um, Eric, mm-hmm. um, so you can, he was Daredevil 133 back in 76. Yay, year I was born. Yeah, see, literally like 21 <laughs> years ago. It was, it's, yeah, yeah, exactly. I can do math, <laughs> I swear. Um, and yeah, look, check him out. It was, it was, like I said, he's, he's a bit of a 
Z-list kind of villain, but again, nice to see. Mm-hmm. Same what they did with the wizard. They're just bringing in some of these unknown, kind of giving them a nice tweak. Um, and yeah. then if you're interested more, go check out uh, Fool Killer um, and mm-hmm. look up him if you want to know more about it. But as I said, I think they're going to be very different to how things are going to go in this. Well, yeah, he was a, a villain that went up against Doctor Strange and the Hulk their version of the Defenders. So he is a Defenders villain, but a different type of Defenders villain uh, back in the comic books. I know at least one of our fellow Defenders who is a big fan of Phil Killer. He is a very minor villain, but because of something she had to do, she ended off uh, reading a lot of his comic books or a lot of appearances of him uh, in the comic books. So she's really excited to see him uh, in the show. There you go. <laughs> That's it for our notes and case notes. Chris, since John isn't here, why don't you take us off first? Do you defend Jessica Jones season three, episode four, AKA customer service is standing by. Yes, I completely do. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, the, I don't need customer service cause I am a happily happy customer. Um, I have four episodes in, if this is where they're going with this, and again, I, I've said this a lot as each season progresses. Um, mm-hmm. Like I'm like, this is great. This is the the pacing is fun. That what we're getting right now in terms of potential storyline is good. I want to see more of Eric. I want to see where they're going with Salinger. Um, I'm hoping he is the big, big, big bad, and we're not getting a Luke Cage season one kind of sh- shift and faint where we'll get introduced to Salinger and then it turns out there was someone behind Salinger all along or blah, 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 Man, blah. I love Luke Cage season one. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm not saying, just, you know, when we went from Cottonmouth to Diamondback, mm-hmm. I'm just saying, like, I want to see, like, another kind of nine hours of Jessica versus Salinger. Okay. Like, I want to see that. Um, but let's, I, I, I trust them. I trust Rosenberg um, to do this. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I, I think she knows what she's doing. And if, like you said, she did Dexter. Mm-hmm. Um, so if that is where, like, she, we know she has pedigree to actually pull off a, a serial killer, a vibe and a, a, a good serial killer, not just your kind of co- cookie cutter serial killer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really down. I completely defend this episode and I want to see where they're going to go. Um, I, and, Right now, there's an element of me which is always wary of the pacing in these shows because we've talked about whether it should be, sometimes maybe it should be shorter or maybe it should be longer and there's always that blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I'm happy with the pacing right now um, and I'm always happy to get more of this to, to be spend more time in Jessica's world. Mm-hmm, and absolutely. I think that's where I am right now. Like I'm happy to be here. I'm not bored. I'm not taking out my phone. And when that happens, then I know, well, well, I'll literally talk to our, our fellow defenders about it on this podcast right here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, I do defend this episode. But enough about me. Derek, do you defend this episode of Jessica Jones? Excellent. You know what, Chris? You actually hit exactly what I was going to say about this episode and these episodes so far of Jessica Jones. We're spending time in Jessica's world, and I love that, especially because this is the final season. I think I I had a bit of a defense on earlier seasons, things like where Iron Fist got cut to 10 episodes, and uh, we, we talked about it on Daredevil having 13 episodes still. If they 
have good stories to tell with the characters they have available for them, they can do 50 episodes in a season. I don't care how many episodes they do. It doesn't matter to me as long as there's good stories going on. And these first three episodes featured really good stories without a big bad. There was no big bad. It was just Jessica got stabbed at the end of an episode, but there was no real focus on a big bad being behind or anything worse than somebody being hired to stab Jessica Jones. We're now at a point on the fourth episode where we're just being introduced to our possible big bad for the season. And I don't feel like it's slowed up at all. It's been really, really enjoyable spending time in the universe of these characters again for the final time, unfortunately. But if it's this good, I I don't mind spending any time with them at all. So uh, absolutely defend this episode. Really good one. Uh, I'm really excited to see what happens with, uh, with Salinger in the future. We didn't get any feedback in in time for our recording on episode four uh, while Chris was here. Uh, do have a general piece of voicemail feedback from Steve Brown. Hello, Defenders TV podcast. Uh, this is Steve and just wanted to send in a quick note to tell you that I'm listening and can't wait to hear all what you guys think of season three. Mark and my, my Mark, my podcast partner, and I are also podcasting and reviewing Jessica Jones season three on our podcast. And so I uh, can't wait to to once we all catch up to each other that uh, send some specific feedback to you guys for some episodes. You guys do uh, one episode per podcast, but you do two podcasts a week. Mark and I do two episodes per podcast, one podcast a week. So I think eventually we're going to sync up here pretty soon and I'll send you in some specifics. I don't know why I can't say that word. Anyway, um, Love, absolutely love your whiskey identification segment. I am horrible about identifying the whiskeys that Jessica drinks. I can get the easy ones like Maker's Mark and sometimes the Four Roses bottle. Uh, but other than that, it's, it's hard for me to distinguish them. So I'm really glad that you guys uh, do that and can't wait to hear what you guys thought. Uh, talk to you later. Thanks so much, Steve. I hope you're enjoying the show as much as we are. Uh, the- podcast that Steve's talking about is the Panels to Pixels podcast, where they're doing Jessica Jones as well uh, for season three of the podcast. Um, check that out. Uh, any good podcast catcher, it's a, it's a good good podcast, good chats between the two guys about uh, about the episodes. But as you said, they do them slightly differently to us, so hopefully we'll, see, we'll hear a little bit more from you uh, as you get through the season. Um, yeah, the Whiskey Watch segment from John, uh, always a good one. It actually kind of came about right at the beginning for in episode one of our Jessica Jones coverage uh, when he noticed it. Uh, at times, it's reasonably easy to guess what they are, but there is one or two fake brands that they occasionally throw in, the production designers throw in uh, during the series. So those ones can drive you insane. Um, it feels like CSI sometimes in the uh, in the offices here where we record. Um, we're, we're going backwards and forwards on some of the episodes, trying to pick out the uh, the label and then comparing it to something on Google search where we have three or four letters to make it up. And it suddenly overtakes uh, everything about an episode sometimes. Uh, just try to find that one line to find out what whiskey it is. And of course, in this episode, with John not here, we didn't even talk about the whiskey watch in this episode. I don't think there was any, any specific uh, whiskey watch that we needed to talk about in this episode. I think it was the amount of whiskey that she drank every day was a uh, was one of the issues um but no nothing specific this episode and of course we miss out uh, when john's not around but he's around next time so hopefully you'll find some uh, some whiskey on the next episode thanks so much for your voicemail steve always good to hear from you uh, back to chris and he'll let you know how else you can get in contact with us you can leave uh, feedback on any of our spoiler posts over on facebook in the group at facebook.com forward slash groups slash defenders tv podcast don't want to leave it there in case Freddy might be spoiler. Don't worry. You can also send us 
your feedback via email at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. Absolutely. And you can join us over on Twitter at DefendersCast. Uh, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Jessica Jones Season 3, Episode 4, a.k.a. Customer Service is standing by. A really fun episode this time. Um, we will talk to you next time for the fifth episode of Season 3 of Jessica Jones, a.k.a. I Wish, really soon. Make sure you get your feedback in for that episode. Yes, we want to hear from you. Thank you so much, fellow Defenders, and we'll speak to you again soon. Bye. Bye.